Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome back, everybody. You know, I wanted to start with a word, excuses. Excuses, right? We all come up with them as to why we haven't tackled or accomplished goals we promised ourselves and the people around us that we would. I just actually came up with an excuse the other day. I've been telling myself for years it was time to write a second book. Okay, so my first one was called The Best Investment Advice I Ever Received. And what I did was I interviewed very famous investors and successful CEOs about the best investment guidance they ever got. And it did it actually did really well. But, I, you know, I kind of have to redo it because like half the people in it have been indicted. But, um, okay. <laughs> my excuse when somebody asked me the other day about my next book was, you know, I'm so busy. I've got my full-time job at Fox Business. I anchor my TV show Monday through Friday. Then I take podcasts. I've got the social media I do. You know, I just started bass guitar lessons. I need time to work out. But you know what, you guys? These are all legit excuses. But when we began researching the background of my guest today, I literally had to slap myself and say, knock it off, Liz. Because if anyone had excuses not to succeed, it was him. He grew up in Camden, New Jersey, consistently ranked one of the most dangerous crime-ridden cities in America, worse than Detroit. His parents divorced by age 10. He was caught stealing a bicycle. He was hauled into the police station. Think about that. A fifth grader in a holding cell. You know, arguably a horrible experience, but quite a teaching moment. And he realized he was stealing to maybe cope with his parents' divorce, so at age 13... He changed his coping mechanism by joining his high school football team and, yeah, touchdown. He began excelling at both the game and academics, and by senior year, kid was in serious demand, landed more than 50 scholarships and Division I offers. He ended up choosing Penn State, and that's when the injuries began. Torn ligaments, broken bones. But by graduation, you know what? The man of steel. <laughs> Props to him. He had NFL teams banging down his door and was ultimately drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals. So the dream became a reality. But you guys know where this is going because you listen to my Everyone Talks to Liz podcast. Reality can, you know, well, it can bite. And when it does, not only can it draw blood, but it can break your heart like his almost did when his tiny daughter was diagnosed with stage four cancer. But my guest had already proved he could fight back from physical injuries, so he set about pulling off a miracle, saving his daughter and his bruised heart. Today, he's a positive psychology practitioner with two degrees, including an MBA. How did he do it? Let's bring in former NFL star Devin Still. Devin, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Oh, thanks, Liz. I'm glad to be here. The Bengals. You know I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. 
Are you really? <laughs> How did you end up a Cleveland Browns fan? <laughs> that is always the question. I'm not from Cleveland. I'm from L.A., but um, really? I, I anchored and I reported in Cleveland, and I just okay. fell in, you know, because I'm, I'm like an underdog person, so I always right. go with the, the beaten down underdog losers. <laughs> so uh, I'm now a Cleveland Browns podcast. fan. <laughs> you love underdogs. I love it. All right. So you accept my Cleveland Browns aspirations. I do. I do. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? I'm thinking the NFL draft just kicked off last night. I saw draft day with Kevin Costner because he he was running the draft day for the Cleveland Browns. So, so much behind the scenes deal making and trading rounds of picks. Is that how it really is? Yeah. You, you got to have tough skin as a player because a lot of times we're projected to go a certain round or a certain number. And oftentimes it doesn't happen. But Ultimately, when your name is called and you go from, you know, it being your dream to your reality, it's nothing like it. It's quite the glittery event now. I mean, ESPN covers it like it's the Oscars or something. Cameras at all the houses of the players, their families. I mean, what a far cry from growing up on the very rough streets of of Camden. And and that's where I want to start. Um, Tell me about that, about living there and then, of course, a child of divorce. Tough times. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I, I was born in Camden, New Jersey, and when our house caught on fire when I was around two years old, I moved to Delaware, Wilmington, Delaware, um, where I was raised. And it was tough because it was a city that was stricken with a lot of drugs and violence. And when my parents got divorced when I was in the third grade, I fell out of control because um, I, I, I really didn't have the the coping abilities to deal with the stress or the pain and the sadness that I was under. So I would get in trouble all the time in school. I would get suspended or have in-school suspension every two weeks. I would get in fights and it was really like a a cry for help um, because I didn't know how to deal with it. And like many divorces, parents are trying to figure out ways to get their lives back in order. And oftentimes the kids suffer because they have to navigate that tough Mm -hmm. time by themselves, which I saw, you know, me and my siblings have to do. I feel like I'm not hearing you say, you know what, I was a rotten kid. You were saying you just had nowhere to turn. And in doing so, you started to spiral. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I wasn't getting in trouble before that that happened. Um, So I know that there's a correlation between the two. Life, life is tough. And uh, you're, you're, starting down a road of criminal activity, right? And right. and tell us about that. Like, how did it start? And then how did it progress? It, it just started from fighting, getting in trouble. In school suspension, you're hanging out with other kids who are in trouble as well. So you come up with different ways that you can get in trouble together. It's like you become uh, a better, um, you're better at getting away with things. <laughs> so I yeah. would start stealing from stores. Um, as you mentioned earlier, I, I stole a bike. And when I stole a bike, that's when my life really took a turn uh, when I was in um, the fifth grade. And I ended up uh, getting arrested and going into a, a, a holding cell where um, I just really had to reflect on the trajectory of, of which my life was headed in. Like, like I said before, I didn't really get in trouble before my parents got divorced and now I couldn't stay out of trouble. And somehow I'm 10 years old sitting behind bars and I'm thinking to myself, is this really what I want? Is this what I want for my life? Although it was things that I saw around me, I seen people locked up. I knew of people locked up, but I also saw the pain that it caused them 
and their families. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to be that burden on my family or even do that to myself. And when I got out of there that day, I made a decision that I was going to try to turn my life around. And I knew it wasn't going to be easy because, again, um, I don't know, like, when you grow up in the inner city, therapy is not something that's really offered to you. So again, I didn't have the tools to deal with it, but I ended up uh, being introduced to football and football is what gave me the structure to get out of trouble and just hone in on a craft. What did you find that you liked about football? I mean, you hadn't thought about it before and suddenly you're putting on the cleats and you're putting on the shoulder pads and it's hard. Yeah. Oh, man, it was <laughs> I almost gave up the first time I went out to play football. Really? I had always. Yeah, I always wanted to play football. I watched my dad watch it every Sunday, but my grades were so bad that my dad told me he wasn't going to allow me to play sports until I got my grades right. And when I got my grades right in sixth grade, he started to let me play sports. But the first time I, I walked out on the football field, I remember they had me as a inside linebacker and it was one play where they hand they held the ball off to the running back, and he went sprinting through the offensive line straight towards me. And me not knowing what to do, I just opened up my arms and let him run right into me, and he put his helmet in the middle of my chest, oh. and it completely knocked my breath out. And in that moment, I wanted to give up on football. Why didn't you? What kept you my in? My dad told me no. Uh, dad? <laughs> my dad told me, yeah, I went to the sideline, and I, I was telling him that I, I didn't want to play anymore. Uh, but the next day, he made me go back to practice and told me, like, this is a part of the game. Like, don't just give up the moment that you're in hurt. Don't make that split-second decision. Go home, think about it, go back the next day and see if things can get better or if you get better at your craft and then just see it all the way through. And I'm glad he gave me that advice because if he would have let me quit – I would have never made it to the NFL. Isn't this amazing? Because a lot of people would quit. Okay. I saw a little kid in Little League and, you know, he was hit by the pitcher or something like that, you know, and crying. And I get it. If I were, I'm so bad about this. I would be like, you're quitting. I would, I I respect your dad. (laughs) That's why I'm glad my mom wasn't there because she would have did the same thing. (laughs) <laughs> when did you start to realize, you know what, I'm pretty good at this? So when I started, that happened in sixth grade. I started to play um, organized football really heavy when I was 13. I was in the eighth grade. And I started to see flashes that I had the abilities to be good. But I didn't think I was good enough to play D1 football or make it to the pros until the end of my 10th grade year is when I, I really turned the corner and I was like, okay, I've dedicated a lot of years to my life to perfecting this craft, learning how to play football. Um, and I just practiced all the time. And after my, my sophomore year, I got my first scholarship from Marshall University. And when I received that letter in the mail, I was like, man, this is my chance to actually make it out of here and do something with myself because I went to a vocational school. I didn't have plans on going to college. I wanted to learn a trade so that as soon as I graduated, I could enter the workforce. But when I received that that letter, I knew that I had a chance to actually go to college. And you had already actually broken your tibia playing football. Yeah. Uh, that's that's yeah. some serious, serious problem there. Yeah, I, I actually broke it playing basketball in my ninth grade year. Um, what? I went up, yeah, I went up for a dunk at practice 
And I don't know what happened. I just remember that I woke up on the ground and my leg was snapped in half and it was oh. the size. My knee was the size of a basketball. And I ended up having to get rushed to the hospital where I had emergency surgery, where they weren't sure if I was going to be able to make it back to play sports again. But one thing that really stuck stuck out to me, because a lot of times you don't remember things that happened to you when you were 14 years old. Mm -hmm. I'm about to be 34. But I remember when I woke up, I had a cast that went from my hip all the way down to my toes. And on the inside of that cast, the doctor had wrote on it, you're going to be somebody special when you grow up. And it completely blew my mind that this type of message came from a stranger. It just showed me the importance of having those micro moments of of love because that's what it was. She didn't know me, but I can still feel the love in her message. And that was the first words of encouragement I got when I woke up from my surgery. Oh, my God. Oh, I love that doctor. That's yeah, amazing. <laughs> that is incredible. Okay, so you're a senior. Mm-hmm. You, you've made it through. You're back on the field. And yep. the offers start coming in for scholarships. Yeah, it I was mean, insane. I What was that like? It was like a letter was coming every single day of another college offering me to come to their university. Um, it, it was amazing because college coaches was flying in all over the place during that trying during that time trying to get me to come to their school. At that time, I was working at Finish Line, and I remember um, Ohio State head coach at the time was Jim Trestle, and this is when they were winning national championships. Mm. Like, they were the top of the top. Um, and one day I was sitting at Finish Line working, which is the sneaker store, sure. and he came and bought me pizza for dinner. He bought me a box of pizza for dinner, and when he walked into that store in the mall, it's like, everybody just stopped and looked around at him giving me the pizza. But then when Penn State found out that um, he brought me pizza to finish line, oh, the linebacker fit. coach from Penn State came and bought me pizza <laughs> for dinner. So I didn't have to pay for dinner two times when I was at work, which is always good to save money when you're 17. But even Joe Paterno, he came to my high school. He didn't make a lot of trips that year because he had broke his leg, but he came to um, my high school, Howard High School, and visited the school and visited me. And, you know, we had a culinary arts program there because it was a Voltex school and they cooked Italian food. It was just crazy. It was oh, surreal. my God. Did any uh, Ivy Leagues come after you or did they realize they couldn't touch you? No, I, I think a lot of the schools that were close um, didn't really like University of Delaware, mm-hmm. all the surrounding schools. They didn't really offer me because they knew I wasn't going to go there. So you picked Penn State. Why? Yeah. Because even though my parents were divorced when I was um, in the third grade, the one thing I could say about my parents is they always came together for us. Like every time I had a game, my parents never missed. They never missed a single game my entire time growing up. And every time I looked up in the stands while I was playing sports, they would be sitting together cheering us on. And that really gave me the motivation to go out there and play because I I like to see my parents together. I love to see them cheer me on. And I wanted to take that feeling to college. And Penn State was three and a half hours away. I thought about going to Ohio State, but it was eight hours away. And I knew my parents weren't going to be able to make it out there. So I wanted to stay close to home so they can come to my games. I wanted to play under Joe Paterno. And I wanted to play under Larry Johnson, who was, you know, sending – 
uh, defensive lineman to the NFL like it was nothing at that time. Yeah, well, Paterno, one of the, one of the greats, certainly back yep. then. And well, I I lived in Columbus, Ohio. I reported there. That was before Cleveland, and I can't tell you how many Ohio State games I covered. That was the Robert Smith era. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, where he was just – he won the Heisman, I think. Um, yep. Just incredible experiences. But Penn State was was really a place that you felt was a match for you. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we're going to be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listen Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, so yeah. let me fast forward. You're a senior. You knew you wanted to go to the NFL, right? This was yeah, it. I did. That that was my sole reason of going to Penn State. Like I said, I knew Larry Johnson could help me um, gain the ability to get there. But I, it was a struggle when I first went to Penn State because my freshman year, I had a chance to enter the rotation as a true freshman, which normally doesn't happen underneath Joe Paterno. But I was doing so well during training camp. But one of the practices... Um, I ended up tearing my ACL and my MCL, and I was out for the whole year. I had to get season-ending surgery, which was devastating because oh. I had high expectations to play that year. But I sucked it up. Um, I told myself that, you know, this is a part of the game. I broke my leg already in ninth grade. I knew I could overcome injuries. This wasn't anything new to me. So I just put my head down, went back to therapy, and just put in the work in order to make it back out onto the football field. But the following year during training camp, I had one more practice to make it through in order to make it to the season and finally feel what it's like to play in front of 110,000 fans in Beaver Stadium. And during that practice, one of my teammates picked up another teammate and threw him into my leg, and my leg snapped in half, and I ended up Devin. having to get a plate and 10 screws. And Devin, it was just <laughs> I'm going to hit you. Oh my gosh. I hit my teammate. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let me stop you there because you're now explaining all kinds of moments where you are charging ahead and then you're mm-hmm. stopped dead in your yeah. tracks. Mm-hmm. What and what did you muster inside you instead of saying, forget it, I'm done, I'm so sick of this? How did you continue to fight on? I had to learn to accept failure, but not accept defeat. Like it's tough when you find the courage and the strength to get up every time life knocks you down, but it's discouraging because you continuously ask yourself, am I ever going to catch a break? If if things are ever going to go right. And I hit that place in my life when I was in college, I hit rock bottom where 
I spent most of my days inside of my dorm room just crying because I didn't understand why these things kept happening to me. And I had to watch all the other players that I came into college with living out their dream and they're out there having fun. Meanwhile, I'm getting surgeries. I'm in therapy. Um, and I almost gave up. I, I I thought about dropping out of school because I wanted to play football at Penn State, not just go to class at Penn State. But one weekend when I went home um, to contemplate that decision, I went out to a party with some of my friends. And at that party, I had witnessed somebody get murdered. And I had to make a decision that you know, I, I, although I was in a lot of pain physically, uh, spiritually and emotionally at that time, I had to be willing to go through that type of pain so that my family wouldn't experience the pain that I went through growing up. I didn't want them to grow up in the same type of environment that I grew up in. So again, I just put my head down. I found a purpose that was bigger than my pain and I just kept pushing forward. Wow. Uh, I, I mean, this is exactly the kind of story that our listeners really seize upon and absorb. And you did that. You you get you get to that point. It's draft day. And how where were you expected to go? Which round? And then what happened? I was expected to go in the first round in the top 15 because I came on my senior year strong. Um, I ended up becoming an All-American, the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year and the Big Ten Lineman of the Year. So I was able to come back from those injuries and be one of the best defensive players in the country during that time. So I was excited about entering the draft, but something crazy really happened my senior year that really stunted where I could go in the in the draft, where at Penn State, a lot of people are familiar about the Sandusky scandal that had broke out. Yeah, I was going to ask during you about that. that. Time, yeah. yeah, during that time, I was the team captain, and um, we got – we were getting punished for something that we had nothing to do with. Let me just Sandusky's, stop you. For people who don't know, Jerry Sandusky was a member of the coaching staff, and mm -hmm. he was arrested, charged, and convicted of pedophilia and right. attacking children. It was it was a horrific story, and Paterno suffered for that, too. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people suffered during that time, especially the children who were victims of, of Jerry. Um, but— there was so much negativity surrounding the Penn State football team that although we had a really good record that year, they had selected us to go to this Ticket City Bowl, which we had never heard of before. And the team was frustrated. Um, and they wanted to boycott the bowl game because they was like, you know what? We don't deserve this. We're being punished for a coach that wasn't even here during the time that we were playing football. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I knew that was the wrong thing to do because, number one, it would send a message to the rest of the Penn State family that it was okay to give up just because things were hard. I knew that Penn State family needed us to go out there and show our unity so that we can overcome this. So I ended up talking the team into going down to the bowl game. Which was despite, where? I'd never heard of in, that. Yeah, it was in Texas. Um, and I talked them into going down to the bowl game despite my agents and my parents telling me not to because I had a chance of getting hurt and I was projected to make millions of dollars as a, a top 15 pick. But I knew as a leader that I couldn't make a decision based off of what I could gain, but I needed to make a decision based off of what my constituents can gain um, or else I shouldn't accept the role as a captain. Hmm. So I ended up doing that. I broke my toe during the bowl game, so I wasn't able to train for the combine or play in the senior bowl. And because of that, I ended up dropping to the second round of the 2012 NFL draft. 
and yet you got drafted. What was the moment like where the Cincinnati Bengals picked you? It, it was a dream come true because I almost didn't go back to New York City uh, Radio City Music Hall the second day because I was devastated when I didn't hear my name called in the first round. Um, and then I had a bunch of agents telling me that I probably wouldn't go to the third round. So again, I had thought about not going, but my dad told me to just go back because he, you never know what can happen. And I don't want to miss, you don't want to miss out on the experience is what he told me. So I decided to go back to the draft and I heard my name called 53rd overall. And then what transpired before then didn't really matter because now my dreams were my reality. And I was just, I was happy. And then you got even happier because at a celebratory party, you met a very special somebody somehow. Talk about I serendipity. I, I mean, th your whole life seems to be this this rolling moment of if then, like if I fight back, mm -hmm. then something good's going to happen. And then something bad happens, but I'm going to fight yeah. back and an amazing <laughs> thing happened. What was that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I ended up throwing a draft party because a lot of people don't make it to the NFL out of Del Delaware. So I wanted to throw a party just to celebrate and inspire people. And during that party, uh, my best friend introduced me to my now wife, um, <laughs> which was crazy because I, I wasn't going to that party expecting to find a wife. I was expecting to have fun, like the fun I saw NFL players and celebrities have when I was growing up. I was like, now nah, I get to live this life. But I ended up finding a wife, and uh, she completely changed my life. I found out that we had the same birthday, same day and year. We were from the same city, and it was just like a perfect match. Oh, and and it became even more perfect in it, in actually, I suppose, the prism of close tragedy, and that was yeah. that your daughter Leah, from a previous relationship, correct, yeah. was yes. diagnosed with stage four neuroblastoma cancer. Yeah. I, I just feel like sometimes in life we meet people for a reason. And I think that's why we shouldn't treat, take people for granted. Because I think sometimes what we do in life is that we just continue to replace people. We see how we can use them, then we move on to the next. But some people are brought into your life for a reason. And before my daughter was even diagnosed with cancer, Asha was my rock because my second year in the NFL, I was going through a lot of dark times. I had dislocated my elbow against the Lions. Five weeks later, I ended up blowing out my back against the Steelers and had season in the surgery. A week after that, I almost died from blood clots in my lungs. And she was my rock during that whole time. I remember the day she looked at me and was like, so much is going wrong in your life right now. But I need you to understand that darkness is not an actual thing, but it's an absence of light. And we need to do something to bring more light back into our life. So we decided to go on our faith journey together. We started to go back to church. I, we both got baptized together. And two months later is when Leah got diagnosed with stage four neuroblastoma and was given, given a 50% chance of survival. And I know that if my wife didn't talk me into going back to church when she did, I wouldn't have had the strength in order to endure Leah having cancer because I had to rely heavily on my faith because when you get news like that, it's like the physical can't help you get through that. Like you need something bigger to hold on to, to let you know that you can make it through those dark times. This is Everyone Talks to Liz and we're going to be right back. It's only a kick. 
a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What happened then? Because she got treatment, but it wasn't the easiest thing in the world, as these things never are. I mean, stage four, that's pretty dire. Yeah. Um, man, a lot happened. Uh, first, um, I had got cut from the team. A lot of people think that I had got cut from the team, and then once the team found out that Leah had cancer, they brought me back, but they actually knew before that moment, and they decided to cut me so that I could be on the practice squad and travel back home more to be with Leah while she was getting treated in Philadelphia, huh. and I had to play in Cincinnati. Um, but I decided to go public with her story because I knew that we had to, again, I learned early on from college that you have to find a purpose that's greater than your pain. And I wanted to be able to use my platform as an athlete to shed light on what it's like for families who are diagnosed with cancer. Because in the moments I wanted to give up, I knew I couldn't because there were a lot of families who were going through the same thing, who were dependent on me. So we decided to go public with her story. We were able to raise $1.5 million for cancer research within the first year. Um, and we just continued to inspire everybody who was dealing with cancer and those who were just going through any type of struggles in their life. You founded the Still Strong Foundation. What a perfect yep. name. Devin Still's yep. Still Strong <laughs> Foundation. How is Leah doing today? She's doing really good. This past March, she turned eight years cancer-free. So, oh. man, she's just living her life right now. It, it was tough for us up until the five-year mark because there's always that chance of relapse. And although there's still a chance right now, the, the odds of it coming back, they drop significantly. So right now we're just living in pure bliss and enjoying every moment that we have with each other. Well, and yet you are far from done. You got your MBA from the University of Houston downtown and yep. your master's from University of Pennsylvania. Amazing. Yep. Talk about that. What did you focus on and how are you moving forward with what you learned at, at Penn? Yeah, so I decided when I was with the Texans in 2016, I had made a vision board that New Year's that I was going to go back to school and get my MBA. So I started to go to school when I was playing for the Texans and I completed it after I retired. And I just wanted to be able to learn business. I mm -hmm. wanted to learn how to talk to the business community because I was being booked for a lot of speaking engagements during that time. And once I got my MBA, I, I do a lot of work with resiliency and well-being, helping people overcome challenges in their life. And uh, Penn had this really awesome applied positive psychology program where they teach the science behind uh, resiliency and well-being. So I decided to go there. I got my master's. I'm now an assistant instructor there as well. So I just take everything that I learned. I take all, everything that I learned from the struggles I endured on my own and I combine it with the science behind resiliency and well-being, and I teach people how to overcome challenges in their life. I I am trying to soak up your inspiration into every cell of my body, and I know that our listeners are doing the same. Again, when I started this podcast, I said, excuses. Everybody's got them. Yeah. You could have turned your back on all of this incredible life experience 
having leaned back on your excuses. Yeah. What when, do you when you started to talk yeah. about excuses, I was reminded of a poem um, that I learned my sophomore year in college that went, excuses are the tools of the competent built on monuments of nothingness. And those who choose to indulge in excuses are seldomly capable of anything yet but excuses. And that just stuck with me from the moment that I learned that my second year in college, because I think that we all have reasons of why we're in the place that we're in. Things did happen to us throughout life. But if we continue to use those reasons for the reasons why we don't change, then that's when they become excuses. So yeah, there are, there are a lot of reasons why I ended up the way that I did or certain things happened to me, but I never let those reasons turn into excuses. I always took back my power and my control over my life. Now I have no excuse not to write my second book, Devin. <laughs> I, I mean, hearing your resiliency and your strength through so many uh, stumbling blocks thrown at your feet, at your head, I mean... My God, you had the you had your your teammate throwing another person at you and <laughs> breaking your bones. My God, what a wonderful inspiration you are! Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Well, thank you for having me, Devin Still. Mm, I love it. I love it. I love it. And yeah, I have to go home right now and start typing. <laughs> Seriously, it's a great, great story. And I hope you guys are sharing these. I hope that you tell people in your life, you know what? You got to listen to this podcast. And I, I get nothing for this, right? Fox owns this thing. I don't have any, I don't get anything from it except what you are getting from it and what I feel I've just absorbed from Devon. So I, I hope you spread the word and I hope you tell people because a story like Devon's is so worthy of sharing. Thank you so much as always for tuning in. It really means the world to me as does tuning in to Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on Fox Business, The Claim and Countdown. Have a great week, you guys. Thanks. Want to listen ad-free? You can do it with a Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And then Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.